This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. You don't like the Drake. I hate the Drake. I love the Drake. How could you not like the Drake? Who's the Drake? Who's the Drake? The Drake is good. Do you like the Drake? I love the Drake. What about the Drake? Oh, screw the Drake. I love the Drake. This is Cam Bowen, voice of Tim Drake on Young Justice, and you're listening to Everyone Loves the Drake. Hi, this is James Tynan IV, and I love the Drake. This is George Perez, and everybody likes the Drake, especially the cakes. Hi, this is Mark Wolfman, and everyone loves the Drake. Good for them. Love the Drake. Got to love the Drake. I'm impressed. What can I say? I'm irresistible. everyone and welcome to Robin. Everyone loves the Drake comic podcast. I'm your host Rob Myers and welcome to episode 101. This podcast is brought to you by the batmanuniverse.net, your home for all things Batman and Robin. And we are also part of the Batman Podcast Network at batmanpodcastnetwork.com that's associated with Batman on film. And between the two universes you can get a whole plethora of Batman universe stuff. So check out the batmanuniverse.net and the batmanpodcastnetwork.com. And now I'm happy to say we have a t-shirt for the podcast. Thanks to our good buddy Justin Kowalski who designed our new logo and banner, uh, helped me create, actually helped me, he created a t-shirt for us with my input. Uh, the best way to get this, you can go to our T Public page, Everyone Loves the Drake. It's kind of hard to search T Public sometimes. So probably the easiest way if you would like one of our fluidity equals Robin t-shirts, it's the quote that we have been using Fluidity from for almost a year now from Chuck Dixon. Uh, you can go to our Twitter page and I have a pinned tweet for our T Public page. So if you'd like one of the uh, t-shirts for Robin, everyone loves the Drake. The default color is black, but you can switch it to red that I, I purchased myself and green or yellow or pink or whatever color you want. But it's so cool to finally have our own Robin Everyone Loves the Drake comic podcast t-shirt. I am over the moon with this, and it turned out fantastic. So thank you, Justin. So check our Public page out. And like I said, you can go to Twitter to the pinned post, and you can uh, get to it that way a lot easier. 
You can get a hold of us in a few different ways at facebook.com slash everyone loves a Drake. We are on Twitter at ELTD podcast. You can find us on Instagram and you can email into the show at Robin ELTD podcast at yahoo.com. And we also have a YouTube page. Like I said, I'm your host, Rob, and the original intro of this episode got cut off and put on episode 93, which was the beginning of our Road to 100 series, and that was Donovan Morgan Grant's episode. So I have to record a brand new intro for this episode. I've got my good buddy Terrence here, and when Terrence and I recorded this a few months back, we only covered and discussed the Robin issues, Robin 23 and 24. And while I was editing this, I started going through some of the other issues that I had for the Underworld Unleashed. And I decided to put those in here uh, with their synopsis and uh, cover information with Asriel number 10 and Detective Comics 691 and 692. So Terrence and I won't be discussing that on this, but I wanted to give a little bit more context to some of the other things that were going in the Underworld event. In the Batman book, I believe right around the 530s, he was dealing with Mr. Freeze, and he had been given some cryogenic freezing abilities to have from Neuron. So he was one of the villains that was affected, kind of, sort of. Um, I think during the episode, Terrence and I were wondering what was going on in the Batman issue. So that is what was going on there. So let me just kick it back over to Terrence and I, that we recorded this originally. This was originally going to be episode 93. So I'll let Terrence kick it over to tell you what we're going to be talking about right now. Rob, I need you to take me out of here. I need to go back to a simpler time when kids listen to boom boxes at lunch and <laughs> check their beeper for messages. So <laughs> and ironically, we're going to hear Batman talk to somebody about being in love and Batman knowing that Tim Drake loves this girl. So I think this is the first time in the Robin book that we will actually get to hear Tim Drake say the words, I love her. And it's not to Stephanie Brown, it's to Ari. So we're going to go back to a simpler time, back to the 90s, to when this was a crossover, and we could talk about this crossover a little bit, the Underworld Unleashed will be looking at issues 23 and 24 of the Robin title. So we're going to pause here really quick for some promo ads. And when we get back, we're going to go talk about a literal killer moth and the boy wonder. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Uh, I don't know. Modern day comics just don't seem to have the magic the older ones did. I wish I could go back to those days. You're me, but but I'm me. How is this possible? I'm you, from the future. What happens to my voice? Oh, well, uh, actually, I kind of was eating peanuts before I came back, and uh, one of them went down the wrong tube. I'm still trying to get it out, actually. <coughs> Nothing. Well, still, the future must be terrible. I mean... Your hair's half burnt off. Oh, well, actually, I tripped and fell over the stove. What about the scar on your face? It's a paper cut. And the eye patch? I was looking through a telescope and accidentally pointed at the sun. Look, I have a reason for being here. 
I built a time machine so you can go back to the past and check out the comics of yesteryear. I figure you'll either enjoy the good old days or you'll gain an appreciation for the current comics. Maybe both. Can I bring some friends with me? Sure, but only one at a time. Well, there you have it. Join me, Mike Staley, and an assortment of co-hosts as we look over the world of DC Comics from half a century ago in my new monthly podcast, DC 50 Years Ago. Who are you talking to? Uh, Don't worry about it. Just check out DC 50 Years Ago on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, whatever it's called, and at dc50yearsago.podomatic.com. Seriously, who are you talking to? Tall chai. And a large black coffee. And I suppose you're here with no agenda, as per usual? On the contrary, I'm here for comics. I think I can help all of you. Hello, I'm the caffeinated Clinton Robinson, and I host a podcast called Coffee and Comics. On this podcast, I summarize, review, and discuss comic book issues, stories, and related media, usually in the span of time it takes to have a cup of coffee. Sometimes I'm joined by a guest, and sometimes I'm flying solo. So pour the coffee, take a sip, and turn up the volume as you listen to the Coffee and Comics Podcast. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, and directly on coffeeandcomicspodcast.blogspot.com. And remember, this is where the comics are never too old, and the coffee is never too cold. So there were a few promos there from some other podcasts to be able to check out. So Robin, 23 and 24, Underworld Unleashed. So I wanted to ask you, Terrence, in this time frame, and what are we looking at here? 1995, December is when uh, these books came out. Were you reading the tie-ins to Underworld? And I have a confession. This is the only Underworld 
I about said underwear. <laughs> the only underwear I own. The only two underworld <laughs> That books. would be a serious confession. Yeah. yeah. I haven't worn underwear since 95. <laughs> um, Did you tell Jim Lee about that? <laughs> yeah. And uh, that's when security asked me to leave and there was a scuffle. <laughs> yeah. He got freaked out. He asked him to sign a pair of boxes. Yeah. Like, this is my only pair. <laughs> I bought this when Tim Drake first came out and I haven't <laughs> yeah. wore anything since. Underworld. That, the premise of Underworld I thought was actually really pretty cool. But uh, do you have any thoughts with uh, Underworld as a, an event or was this kind of out of your reach uh, at this point? Hold on a second. got to get in my 90s frame of mind. I'm going to crack open my uh, Crystal Pepsi here, put on Van Halen right here, right now, playing in the background I, for I, I'll it. Be, I'll be <laughs> yeah. drinking a little harder. I've got Surge right here. Oh, Surge, yeah. <laughs> Did I, and, um, or some, I used to drink a lot of Jolt Cola in the 90s, which, oh, yeah. Yeah, fortunately, is not on the market anymore. But, I um, wonder why. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Too many. laughs> all the um, heart, or you know, Heart arrhythmias and all that stuff. That's the word I was looking for cause here. But yeah, so I was reading comics pretty hardcore at this time, and I was getting a lot of comic books. I was kind of into the Underworld Unleash. I thought it was a cool idea, and um, it was kind of interesting because it was it was kind of a, an acknowledgement by DC Comics of like heaven and hell and the God and and Neuron and souls and stuff, which I hadn't mm-hmm. seen in comics. Now I guess it had been if I had read stuff like uh, Constantine or maybe some of the Vertigo books or some of those things. But those weren't the books I was reading. You know, I was reading you know Nightfall and I, I think there was a little bit with uh, Superman going to heaven in uh, the Death of Superman. And mm-hmm. I remember one book where he like met his father and his father was like wearing all Korean War you know stuff. And, oh yeah, and stuff. You know, it was kind of like an area spirituality religion. It was just kind of an area that comics didn't go to like I, I and i think it was i don't know maybe more out of respect for different religions and not wanting to say one over the other and maybe the idea that comics really weren't the place for that because they still had that connotation of these are for kids and you know this is not what we do so it was kind of kind of really interesting for me to sort of read a book that was based in some sort of like belief in higher powers and heaven and hell and it doesn't take really like one particular religious belief over another too much other than it believes in there's a heaven and hell. So that was kind of interesting. But this was another example, much like we talked about with the bloodlines, where where DC was was getting beat by a lot of newer books that image the, you know, actually I pulled up the sales chart. I'll talk about the sales chart in a little bit, but it's amazing all the different new comic book companies that were around at the time. Image Comics was repeatedly beating DC in sales. Dark Horse was there. There was Wizard Comics, Maxim Comics, Tops, Crusade, Acclaim, Chaos, Gemstone, Harris, Viz, hmm. Techno, Antarctic. All right, these are all like <laughs> you know competing with DC. There were so many independent comics, and uh, there was this just this feeling out there like I mentioned with the Bloodline stuff, that DC stuff was just old. It was old-fashioned. It was stale. It was goofy. Mothman and Crazy Quilt. And, you know, the only way you could get any traction and make any headlines is if you kill your character or break the character's back or make the character go insane and kill the entire Green Lantern Corps. <laughs> these comics and these these stories were just dull. And this was a way to kind of keep... Their characters, but beef them up, make them more image comic style, make them more X Men of the '90s style. And in fact, if you don't mind me reading this real quick, no, no, um, go for this it. is from Wikipedia. But it said writer Mark Wade, who he 
Mark Wade wrote the Underworld Unleashed miniseries that was the main books, and it was drawn by Howard Porter, who I said that like the Porter. Yo, Howard <laughs> Porter. Yo, me and Howard are going down for a slice of pizza at Vito's. All right. um, I loved Howard Porter's art on The Ray, so I was very excited about that. And then he did the uh, Justice League series with Grant Morrison a little bit later. But it said here, writer Mark Wade said in the afterward to the trade paperback reprint of the miniseries that his original concept was to beef up a bunch of the old, lame DC supervillains. But then he decided that they were actually pretty cool as they they were so he did not need to beef them up after all at least not too much and then here mark wade this is another quote he said mark wade was not impressed with the concept of his own work on underworld unleashed his afterword to the trade paperback reprint of the miniseries he said of the storyline knuckle-headed well-intended creators ashamed of corny old characters have been for most of a decade dragging half-forgotten heroes and villains kicking and screaming into their own little hardware store of creativity they're haunted by a guilty fear that these ancient super doers aren't cool enough for a generation of video game entranced readers said knucklehead creators fool themselves into <laughs> thinking they're doing them a good turn by bludgeoning all the innocent charm and colorful individuality out of them. I tried that once, learned a lesson. So that was basically what Underworld Unleashed was all about. And I feel like a lot of these changes and a lot of these characters just slowly disappeared over time. And then by the time Jeff Johns was running the show in the um, early 2000s and they had done some um, I, I, you know, crises that reset the universe a couple times, it was kind of gone. And the, I think it was great because it let Jeff Johns and those creators come in and say, you know what, what we had originally is great. What we, what those essence of those characters, those core of those characters from those early books are great. We just have to make them real characters, flesh them out, have them interact, and people will love them. And that's what we got from Jeff Johns' run, which is great. And same thing with like the Marvel Universe, like even the cinematic universe. Like the best moments in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is, is when they go to the original core of the characters that were in the original books created by, you know, Stan Lee and Steve Ditko and, you know, uh, all those early creators. So uh, it, sometimes you have to see something like this to appreciate what you have. I do think it was interesting in the Underworld Unleash, um, Superman is not really in it. His titles were doing a um, storyline where Superman was on trial in a galaxy far, far away. So he was off world. And there's a lot of mention to him in the series, thinking that he was the key to something, but he's not there. But then it turned out to actually be Shazam, who they were talking about not superman and this i thought was interesting not only did neuron offer villains new powers and a way to improve their life he also offered heroes that too he offers batman the ability to bring jason todd back to life which was a good thing that batman passed it said because jason todd comes back to life anyway right. in that and um he offered um flash the ability to bring barry allen back to life flash was wally west at the time which again good thing because barry allen did come back to life <laughs> and then offered oracle the chance to have her legs back and, and be able to use her legs which once again all she had to do is wait for new 52 and got it back <laughs> the one that i find interesting i know ryan's not here 
but Azrael VI, his real name was unknown, one of the potential successors to the mantle of Azrael, who seemingly fell to his death after battling Azrael No. 5, which was Jean-Paul Valley, but was actually saved during his fall by Abracadabra, who was acting on the behalf of Neron at the time, and offered his life. As a result of his taking the deal, he survived the fall, then was given the armored Azrael Batman costume, which he used for illegal underground fights, and was also given the chance to kill the Batman in order to distract him from and keep him from discovering Neron's plans. So that must have been going on in the Azrael series, which I just haven't had a chance to pull out and, and yeah. take a look at. But that's kind of kind of interesting. I wonder when Ryan gets his uh, Azrael podcast up and running and gets to that, it'll it'll be interesting to see what was going on with that. Yeah, definitely. I I did not realize that this was, and we'll talk about it getting into the book again. I think Chuck Dixon does a really good job of tying into the overall underworld unleashed and adds adds the villain for tim to fight but this still like prepping for this i was reading going all right how many other underworld books am i gonna we're gonna have to tie in so this all makes sense narratively and this still you could read from robin one all the way to robin 22 and 23 and it still tells the Tim Drake story that we've been currently covering on the podcast, it's just tying into the Underworld event. So if you're like, oh, I'm kind of curious about what the rest of Underworld was doing, you could go read that, but not get lost in the weeds of these two books going, man, I this doesn't make sense. Like, Terrence and Rob, you could have skipped these two books. And I might be playing my hand here. It was nice to read these two and go, wow, I did not feel lost. We're still telling Tim's story and it's moving forward. So let's take a look at the cover credits that are part of the Underworld Unleashed event. And even though we did not discuss detective comics that were part of the Underworld Unleashed in this episode, I'm going to include those cover credits and a brief synopsis as it's written by Chuck Dixon, of course, at the time that he was writing a lot of the uh, Bat Universe character book, so I think this will give just a little bit more meat to the Underworld story that you can kind of tell what Batman was doing at the time in Detective, but of course with Detective, Tim Drake is also a part of another Underworld Leashed event. And if that's not enough, Tim Drake, for the Underworld Unleashed event, Azrael number 10 also features Tim Drake pretty heavily. So as I was editing all this together, I remembered, hey, I think Tim is in Azrael. So it's ironic that Ryan is not here on this episode, but Ryan is moments away from launching his Azrael podcast. So he's going to get to this issue sooner rather than later. So it'll be kind of cool to hear how he talks about this issue as well. But again, like with Detective, I'm just going to read the synopsis for that and maybe go over a few bullet points. Uh, We don't have a discussion portion, but I do want to include that. And then at the end of our discussion for Robin 23 and 24, I'll come back on the mic and give just some brief overall things that I noticed in those two issues as well. And again, all this information comes from mikesamazingworld.com, a great resource if you're trying to figure out who wrote what or or who the inker was, or who did the lettering. It's just a, a marvelous resource. I can't recommend this enough if you're a comic book collector or a podcaster. All right, the cover credits for Azrael number 10 read as follows. The cover date is November 1995, with an on-sale date of November 5th, 1995. The cover price is $1.95, and the editor is Archie Goodwin. The title, Arena. The writer is Dennis J. O'Neill. The penciler is Barry Kitston. The inker is James D. 
Pasco. The letter is Ken Brusniak, and the colorist is Demetrius Baskos. The cover credits go to Barry Kitston, and the anchor is James D. Pasco. The cover credits for Robin 23 reads as follows. Cover date was December 1995, with an on-sale date of October 3rd, 1995. The cover price is $1.95, and of course the editor was Dennis J. O'Neill. The title is Buggin'. The writer is Chuck Dixon. The penciler is Aaron Lopresti. Inker, Stan Woosh. The letterist, Timothy Harkins. And the colorist is Adrian Roy. Mike Ringo, of course, does not draw this issue, but he does get the cover credits. And the inker on that is Terry Austin. On Robin 24, the cover date was January 1996, with an on-sale date November 7th, 1995. Again, the price is $1.95, with Denny O'Neill being the editor. The title, Instincts and Violence. Writer, again, is Chuck Dixon. Aaron Lopresti is the penciler. Inker, Stan Woosh. Letter, Timothy Harkins. Colors is Adrian Roy, with, again, Mike Rowingo and Terry Austin providing the cover. And the cover credits for Detective Comics 691. The cover date is November 1995, with an on-sale date of September 26, 1995, with a cover price $1.95. The editor is Scott Preston. Title, Will It Go Around in Circles? The writer is Chuck Dixon. The penciler is listed as Stuart Johnson, but we know that is Staz Johnson, before he will eventually come over to the Robin series. The inker is Scott Hanna, and the letter is John Costanza. I don't know why I do that. Seinfeld, you know. The colorist is Gloria Vasquez. And the cover artist is Scott Mitchell. And the cover credits for Detective Comics 692. The cover date is December 1995 with an on-sale date of October 24th, 1995. Again, the cover price is $1.95. The editor is Scott Preston, title Living Eyes. And all of the credits for the writer, penciler, inker, and colorist, etc. are the same from the previous issue, again, with Scott McDaniel providing the cover credits. And now the combined synopsis for Azrael number 10, Robin 23, Robin 24, Detective Comics 691 and 692. And all of these synopsis are going to come to us by way of the DCFandom.com wikia page with a few enhancements by yours truly. DC Comics Underworld Unleashed. Azrael number 10, Arena. Tim Drake, Alfred Pennyworth, and Lady Shiva are in the audience at a karate tournament. Suddenly, a man in an Azbats costume starts challenging anybody. Robin steps in at some point. He is able to connect with the man and is able to leave Azbats out of the arena into the city streets of Gotham City, but falls to a cheap shot at the end. Thankfully, Tim has contacted Batman before he started to fight, and now Batman is there to save him. Batman defeats the man who is actually the false Azrael who fought Jean-Paul Valley not so long ago. Meanwhile, Jean-Paul Valley himself also arrives in Gotham City. Robin 23 and Robin 24. Neuron strikes a bargain with Killer Moth, which transforms the criminal into a monstrous moth-like creature, allowing him to promptly escape Arkham Asylum. Meanwhile, Tim Drake is delighted to learn that his girlfriend, Ariana, is not leaving Gotham as he had feared. In fact, she's moving closer to him and now will be attending his school. Later, as Robin, he hears of Killer Moth's escape and pursues, soon finding himself as a prisoner of the monster. It looks very much as though Robin is going to be the feature on Charix's menu, as Sheriff Smith and his crew are not able to hold the monster back from his feed. Batman is on the way, but the bug is captured by a mysterious newcomer before he can arrive on the scene. Back at school the next day, 
Tim is approached by Carl Rainick, who believes they should solve the school's problem by carrying guns. Detective Comics. Spellbinder and his girlfriend, Frey Moffat, set a trap for Batman and Robin. The duo manage to overcome the illusion prepared by Spellbinder and capture all the henchmen, but Billings and Moffat escape. Later, Bruce was dissed at the golf course by J. Devlin Davenport. That night, Batman and Robin went out on patrol to search for Spellbinder. He was staying at the Excelsior Motel. When he turned on the TV, Neuron spoke through the TV and offered the chance to create real illusions without tricks in exchange for his soul. Billings rejected the offer, but Faye drew a gun and shot Billings dead. Then asked Neron if the offer was open to anybody or just Billings, to which Neron answered that he was actually speaking to her the whole time. The Major Crimes Unit was called upon to investigate the murder, and Montoya went on a date with Johnny. Batman and Robin investigate a possible robbery target, and when they arrived to the place, they found the guard was having all kinds of delusions. They met Faye as the new spellbinder, with powers given to her by Neuron. She twisted the duo's reality perception and attempted to get away with the stolen gold. When Batman and Robin managed to follow her, she demonstrated the limits of her new powers by taking Batman and Robin into a surreal, white nothingness. Batman and Robin were under Lady Spellbinder's mind control losing. The duo was unable to stop her from taking the stolen gold. At the Batcave, Batman asked Oracle to help on this case. As Tim was walking out of Wayne Manor, he found Madeline Colbert speaking outside of the manor. When he asked for the reason of her being there, she told Tim to shut up and went away. Oracle provided Batman with helpful answers on the matter, and Batman knew how he would fight the powers of the new Spellbinder. The next night, the police were informed of a woman making use of a hotel suite and was making people see things. Batman showed up and tried to stop Moffat. This time, Batman was equipped with a camera to the cowl and cybernetic exoskeleton attached to his extremities. The camera sends the visual to a visor that Robin was wearing in the Batcave to see the place without being affected by Spellbinder's illusions, and the cybernetic exoskeleton was controlled by Robin's movements. This way, Batman makes sure the illusions won't help a Spellbinder get away. She decided to step out the window to a narrow outcropping. Batman trusted Robin, and they managed to bring Spellbinder to the police. Though she was blindfolded and handcuffed, Lady Spellbinder is still a threatening menace. Robin 23 front cover here. The covers for these are really, really trippy. It's uh, two uh, Micro Ringo covers here for 23 and 24, but he is not the artist on this book. It is Aaron the Priest, if I'm saying that right. Like I said, it's Ringo's front cover here, but I remember picking this up off of the... Uh, uh, the shelf going, I don't know what's going on. Like, I didn't know, like, is there a moth? I couldn't think of killer moth at the time when I bought this book, but I'm like, Oh, is this a spider? Is this an ant? Didn't know what the hand was that was out here at first. And later, you know, spoilers, we find out it's killer moth, but uh, what a cool, creepy cover. Like, looks like there's blood coming down off of the hand here. And looks like Robin's about ready to become lunch. So I thought this was a cool cover uh, to 23. What do you think about the cover here? Yeah, cover's awesome, and I want to echo what you said. You could not know a thing about Underworld Unleashed, not care about it, not read any more of it, and you can read these two issues no problem without any you know any thoughts other than just, gee, I wonder who was that guy who gave Killer Moth an upgrade. But other right. than that, yeah, you don't need to know anything about Underworld Unleashed. I love this cover. The cover it looks like a classic horror movie. I love how the Robin logo's kind of like 
it almost looks like it's falling down. <laughs> they do that mm -hmm. again in 24 as well with the Underworld Unleashed banner, which really kind of puts it in its time and place in DC Comics continuity. And it looks like something you'd see from like a good old-fashioned like 1950s B or C horror movie, you know, Attack <laughs> of the 50-Foot Woman or something. And what's cool is it is actually pretty accurate to what happens in the book and on the last page of the book. It's not one of these things that... Yeah, it's a cool cover, but you know, when when did that happen in the book? I don't recall that. You know, so right. I always like that when you when the cover is a payoff in the book. Yeah, just open it up to the first couple pages here. You get the up close shot of Killer Moth with his gun, and uh, says, "Do as I say, or face the wrath of." And you know, he says, "I mean." Stop laughing, or I'll kill all of you, where you have all of the rogues gallery of Catwoman, Riddler, Joker, Scarecrow, Killer Croc, Penguin, Poison Ivy, Two-Face, and then you also have Batman and Robin, Commissioner Gordon, and Nightwing all making fun of uh, Killer Moth here. So that, that's really cool to see he's in this uh, dream state, and then you realize that he's in Arkham, and then uh, Neron ends up coming in and gives him the speech of, hey, I can I can do more for you. This will Killer Moth asks, like, is it going to hurt? Well, uh, you'll forget the pain after a while, so that whole series of panels is really kind of eerie and ominous, where he's all hidden in shadows in his cell at Arkham. But I like the way that Dixon starts this out of like, oh, wow, I didn't realize that everybody was here. And it also plays into the character where like Killer Moth is just this crazy character that nobody ever takes seriously. But it was always a character that I, I kind of, I don't know what it was. I had a soft spot for Killer Mar Moth as crazy and goofy as his costume looked it was just weird weird enough that i i dug it and uh, one of the first batman lego video games that had come out my wife loved playing as killer moth and she thought it was even funnier if you let killer moth just sit there for a while he would find a light source and then want to fly to it she always thought that was pretty funny did you have any reservations about killer moth or were you like this is the dumbest <laughs> villain that batman has ever created or that they've ever created I don't really recall. I, I I think I was just kind of like, oh, yeah, he's just another one. There's just so many. I do like the artwork, though. The artwork is really good. It almost is a little bit like Kelly Jones. And But you got to be one sad sack. If you're having a dream that involves Catwoman and Poison Ivy and what they're doing in it is pointing at you and laughing, like that's, <laughs> that's pretty low. And I do want to say, are you – or I do want to ask, are you – reading the floppy or you got this in a trade paperback I, i'm reading it in, in the floppy single right. issue if any of our readers are out there and you do not have this in the floppy i'm not sure what this is collected in in trade paperback but it can't be that much in back issues or on ebay if you like 90s nostalgia this is a great floppy to get for the ads i mean oh my so gosh yeah we, we, we ever we just passed an ad that right on the cover for these like jeans for levi's jeans relaxed fit <laughs> they yeah. are so 90s jeans it's not even funny which is sad because this is like still the jeans i wear today <laughs> so <laughs> yeah but i get made i get made fun of all the time for having jeans that look like they're from the 90s but yeah we'll we'll have to point out some more of the more of the ads as they go and then yeah. of course we've got you know Know, the guy who takes over for Satan, who's got a mullet, <laughs> Neron, who he yeah. always reminded me a little bit of if you've seen Superman 4, The Quest for Peace, that guy who he fights, I forget what uh, his name the is. Nuclear the Nuclear Man. Nuclear Man, yeah, yeah. that's it. Yeah, well, that's a good pull right off the top of your head. Uh, <laughs> the, um, the Nuclear Man, he's got the same kind of general look as the Nuclear Man, yeah. 
looking at the, another ad here, Monogram doing some cars here, and there says a bonus, a limited edition Batman comic book. I don't know why I didn't get these cars just so I could get this Batman comic book. It looks like it was the 1967 probably probably a reprinted it says also available in september 1967 so it's probably the reprint for that book um that you got with these cars at the yeah, time yeah it says it's specially marked monogram models kit oh now in specially marked mono huh i'm seeing <laughs> one of them going for 966 plus 896 shipping from canada on ebay but that's the only one i see for sale i don't even see one oh here's another one 299 Okay, two, plus four twenty four shipping. Yeah. So yeah, so if you still want it, you can still get it pretty reasonably. But yeah, that's kind <laughs> of a cool, kind of a cool book. Yeah, yeah. I don't care about the car; I just want the book. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I give it to my nephew. Like we were talking about the story continuing from the not the bloodlines, but the previous Robin book, which I think would have been twenty two, the Ninja Camp story. This is when Tim gets that phone call that Ari's leaving and they're packing up her stuff. So this is where. Tim is out on patrol as Robin and is stopping his patrol to go check on Ari. And he makes a mention here in the book. He says, I haven't tracked her down. I'm staying out of sight, spying on her like some lovesick dweeb out here hiding behind the mask, which I thought Dixon did a really good job of writing that inner monologue for Tim of, yeah, he knows this is kind of creepy, but he's really going to miss this girl. So while on patrol, he ends up stopping to go watch his girlfriend pack all of her stuff in the moving van and Batman ends up coming behind him. And this is where I was talking about where Batman says, you know, you'll miss her. And he says, I already miss her. I know we're both kids. Okay. And I know it's way too early, but uh, to be serious, but I guess I love her. So that was the first acknowledgement that we knew that they were boyfriend and girlfriend, but where Tim is saying this for the first time. And it, it does feel Again, we keep referring it back to Peter Parker, but this is like his his Mary Jane in the book. And I, th- I thought that Dixon writes this really well, and we get the surprise that she's not going to have to move because somebody magically um, was able to help the Drusinskos to be able to save their store, and they're going to go to Ari's going to go to school where Tim is going to school, so to not have to leave. So, what do you think about this uh, section between Ari and Tim getting the the chance to stay together, and then what that could potentially do for Tim? I like the use of the term dweeb. It's very 90s. I don't know if <laughs> yeah. kids still say that these days. The also, this is kind of like the most touching and believable moments where I kind of buy the Tim and Ari romance because I, like I said, I was always more the Stephanie Drake mm-hmm. kind of uh, side of it. I guess the whole Betty and Veronica thing. So but this is actually where you're kind of like, oh, wow, the guy, he, you know, you kind of see it. You, you kind of get it. And I even like this. These Batman moments where he's looking at Robin and Tim as, you know, a kid and and looking out for him and cares about him and would buy the later on you find out he buys uh, the building so they can stay around Gotham and move to a neighborhood where they can go to school together. And, you know, sometimes you see um, in Batman comics, the more serious ones, people are lambasting Batman for his use of the Robins and he's like how dare you you know bring these kids into your war and you're just using them for your war and stuff and and I, I never bought that never liked that always thought Batman was doing what was best for the Robins so moments like this is kind of evidence against that kind of stuff uh, those those naysayers so yeah I really I really like this and again it's just setting up more for when Stephanie Brown comes in more the, mm-hmm. the thing here and then uh, when we turn the page and go to um, 
um, Arkham, I'll let you describe it. But the page that has the ads, it's a, it's a <laughs> mall rats ad with those magic eye books from the 90s. I mean, it can't get more 90s. And mm-hmm. then on the other side is for the Spawn video game, which I always thought it was weird when you'd see like a character from a different company in the DC books. Or, yeah. You know, but uh, I'll let you uh, take it away for our little trip to Arkham Asylum. Real quick, uh, I love mall rats. You know, uh, yeah. Uh, this, I mean, that's the first first place where I I knew who Ben Affleck was. Like, oh, it's the guy from Fashionable Male. Did and you then catch go, the reference to it in um, Captain Marvel right away? Or? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, took, did. I, I didn't catch it till I came home and then saw it. I was like, oh, that was his line, you know, and the the, the script and everything. But yeah, that was so cool. I, that was just so awesome. Yeah. So we were talking about uh, Arkham Asylum here, and uh, I like we get a little shot of Jervis Tetch in here, and uh, Neron has already affected Killer Moth at this point, and this is really really cool and eerie. You get the you know Mallrats uh, ad breaking it up a little bit, but they're going in, and I always forget this will tell you how how infamous or not infamous <laughs> Killer Moth is. Drury, I always forget his last name is Drury. They go in to go check on Drury, who is AKA the Killer Moth, and they walk in the room. They can't find him, and here he is wrapped up in a cocoon, and there's like goo dripping out of here, and it's really kind of gross looking. And what I really appreciate that Dixon did here that I think in the hands of another writer these two orderlies would have been like, gee, I don't know what this is. And bam, you know, they get eaten alive out of here. But you have the order. One of the orderlies realize what this is. And one of them ends up saying, I think we need to get somebody that, you know, understands bugs. Like they're not idiots. And I don't think I never really liked it when they write the orderlies or the people in Arkham Asylum as idiots. When you have all of these crazy maniacal, villains in there and the orderlies are the first ones to die because they really don't know the people like you would want to hire the most qualified people you possibly could in Arkham Asylum because you're dealing with the Joker and the Riddler and Catwoman and all these crazy people and you're going to put just you know some red shirts (laughs) in Arkham Asylum maybe I'm reading too much into Dixon's writing here but I like that they he didn't make them inept like they're just incapable and they're cannon fodder which i think they become cannon fodder later on then like we were talking about also that this is where tim learns from alfred who ends up saving the drasinskos and it's actually alfred that ends up suggesting to bruce hey you probably should do this not only because they're a hard-working family but because she means something to master timothy and this will probably end up helping tim in the long run helping batman if he's not so lovesick about his girlfriend leaving, he may not be that good in the field. And uh, Tim will be lighter on his feet, maybe for the wrong <laughs> wrong reasons. But I thought that was a nice little exchange here. And you find out that Drasinska's place was bought for three times more than what it was worth. So I thought that was pretty cool. And I also like on the bottom of page... Uh, what is it, uh, 10 here, looks like some broken remains of the classic 1950s, 1940s Batmobile that I can't tell if these are just different Batmobiles. It's probably not broken. It's probably different Batmobiles. It looks like maybe the Superpowers Batmobiles right underneath Tim's elbow. It's hard to tell what the one to the right in front of Alfred is, but you can definitely tell the big face and the big fin in the 1940s Batmobile. And then before we get to the next ad on page 11 is one of the psychiatrists and doctors coming in to look at the cocoon in here. So what'd you think about this section? 
I agree with you. I like how the orderlies are kind of smart because he says, uh, forget a shrink. This guy needs an entomologist. And I was yeah. like, ooh, big word. That was good. <laughs> right. was, I learned that word from the X-Files because there was an episode where like these bugs oh, yeah. take over a town and there's an entomologist named Bambi who's quite attractive. And <laughs> Mulder's <laughs> working with her and Scully's getting kind of upset. And I think, oh, I don't know. No, maybe not. I know Stephen King wrote an episode for a second. I thought that was the episode Stephen King wrote, but now I think it's not. I think it's that was a different episode. Yeah, and then the, the ad that you said we'll get to is for Nintendo Game Boy Street Fighter 2. I mean, it just gets it just can't get more 90s. I love it. <laughs> I absolutely love it. And then on page 12, here comes the golden rule. If you're going to change your character's name from Killer Moth to something else, could we please do it to a word that I can pronounce? Because I'm not sure I'm saying it right. <laughs> so all of you correct us on Ari Ariana, Ariana, Charax? Is that it? Charax? That's that's how really I was sure. reading it. C H A R A X E X, which you find out actually means butterfly. Oh, is that what it means? So okay, I think yeah, it, I it'll be know. it'll be in a little bit from Alfred. He looks like oh, you could just call him Killer Moth. He looks like a literal Killer Moth. But then you call him Charax. Like I, I don't know. It's like you, you do this whole character revamp here. And then you not only revamp the character, but you revamp his name. So now he's not Killer Moth anymore. So, I mean, he, again, he, he's epitomizing everything 90s, you know, long tentacle legs and bug eyes and legs coming out of the side of his mouth and fur and goo and ooze. So it's like you're leaning right into the 90s. But uh, like you said, I want to be able to pronounce the names and not try and <laughs> look it up online like Google Translate. <laughs> So then we end up moving to Gotham Heights High School. So this was actually one of my favorite sequences that repeats throughout the series here. I mean, I liked all the Robin stuff, but getting into Tim's daily life. So it's one thing to kind of have to dodge Ari being in neighboring schools being Robin. Now he's having to dodge her in his own school and you're getting Ives and his girlfriend. So I think this is the first mention that Ives is with somebody that, you know, she says here, I bet Tim doesn't have to make Ari go Dutch. And I says, I can't help it, but my mom and dad make me bank everything for college. So really leaning into like Ives is really a nerd and uh, he's saving all his money for college. But what I like here, and I think the three of us had talked about before is I'm blanking on his name now. I should. Carl, is it? Yes, or? Carl. Hold on. That, his, his, hold on. His grave is on <laughs> the cover of Robin 26, which I have before me. Carl right. Rennick. Rennick, yeah. So yeah. by the end of this, in the... <laughs> foreshadowing for what's for, to come for Carl. Yeah, for, foreshadowing <laughs> how, how it's going to land for Carl see here. Ag- see you again during Blackest Night, Carl. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. So I think we had talked about this during the ninja camp because he was part of the ninja camp event as well as we were speculating at the time. I don't think this is going to end well for Carl. He's the typical high school bully, thug, jock. He's got the pretty blonde girlfriend and rubbing it in Tim's nose. And guy's got some balls here to be (laughs) flirting with Tim's girlfriend while he has his own girlfriend on his shoulder and, and Ari is calling him out on it like, oh, he's just he's just flirting with me. But, you know, she's probably the cheerleading captain on her team and going with the high school quarterback here. And Tim is having to play the whole restraint line really well. So I just I really adored the panels that deal with Tim and his his school days and who 
who he really is as a character. It's great that we're getting so much dialogue and context in here that I really feel like I know all the characters that are standing around this table talking to one another. So when Carl comes up, you go, ooh, I don't like that guy. By the end of this, these two issues, you know, like, okay, this is a guy we, we cannot, this is a bad seed for Tim to be dealing with. Rewritten by Tom King. Hey, who's the Russian chick? She's not a Russian chick. Well, kind of you are a Russian chick. Okay, I am the Russian chick. But who is the (laughs) Russian chick? Wait, why? She's my Russian chick. Hey, I'm not your Russian chick. Oh, but I thought you weren't a Russian chick. That's right. I'm not a Russian chick. Like eight pages later, I kind of wanted this last panel to be rewritten, like kind of maybe break down the fourth wall Deadpool style where he says, uh, you run into trouble, Ariana. You look me up. And then Tim says, what do you think he meant by that? And she says, he's just trying to impress me. I want her to say, he's just trying to foreshadow to the next few issues or, or the next story <laughs> arc, you know, because this right, is all this yeah. is. This might as well be an ad for, you know, 25 and 26. But still, I like I like it. I like when they put those little hints of what's to come. It shows that Dixon had a master plan. It shows that there's an arc. And then when things do happen, it's not like just out of the blue. It's like, you've oh, yeah, I kind of know this guy. I've seen him before. It's kind of cool. And we have the hindsight to make fun of it because we have issues 25 and 26 and we know all this and all that. But if you're reading it monthly and it's just coming out, you don't know that. You don't know what's to come. So it is. Yeah. I, I really like this kind of stuff in comics. As much as I goof on it, I really like it. Oh, yeah. Same here. Like you just said, with it being a monthly book, that it would have to be four months before, four or five months before something pays off. So you make it to the sixth month and you're like, Carl, is that the guy cleared back from Ninja Camp, you know, six six months ago? And you would go, wow. Like you said, the hindsight of it all being in a trade or we've got five issues to breeze through. And you're like, oh, I, I see where they put that together. But back when, you know, things were monthly and most books, I think, are back to being monthly now rather than a couple DC books. It's nice when things pay off. So we get uh, Killer Moth breaking out of the Arkham Asylum. Now we've got full guards in right gear coming in, trying to take down Killer Moth. And something I thought was really funny on page 15, seeing the Mad Hatter is so short, he has to stand on a stool to look outside the the prison bars to be able to see what's going on. And just the eerie lighting. Uh, I think Adrian Roy uh, did the coloring. Of this Her colors are really great. Um, I love the texture on this paper. I didn't like when DC recently went back to more of the newsprint. It's got that old feel, but man, the colors just pop off of here and just the, the lights and the darks. Seeing that Killer Moth, or now Charix rather, has taken out those same orderlies now and the doctor and has done just a little bit more probably to them than what maybe your imagination can go with. Being in the Batcave with Robin, and it was good to see Harold in here just for a couple little panels. He's usually tinkering with something. We see his rear end (laughs) sticking out of the Bat computer on page 17. This really feels like Tom Grummet to me on pages 17 and 19, especially the panel on 17 where Robin says, geez, a breakout at Arkham. And I half wondered what was going on with Batman in the Batman book at this time. Cause it makes mention that Alfred has tried to radio Bruce and you could tell that the vehicle is out there, but he's not in the car at the moment. So you'd have, I'd half wonder if Batman is going through his underworld event, obviously at the same time. So I bet if we read those two together, it would make a little more sense what Batman is doing, but it's not said later on. 
Uh, we get an appearance of Shotgun Smith again, which is really cool to see. They're taking on Charks in the uh, in the forest. Robin ends up showing up and saves Shotgun Smith by running into Charks, but it does not end well for Robin because by the time that he lands on the ground before Shotgun Smith can tell him to run, Robin is knocked out or I, at first I thought he was infected. It was going to start turning into something, but uh, I believe he's just knocked out and capacitated and he winds up in his own cocoon uh, strapped at what I would assume is like the top of a church or something like that. It says, I don't know what it was that brought me here. I don't know where I am, but I know one thing for sure. It's coming back soon, which I thought was really a little ominous to uh, end on. And the outside cover for this issue is the Tiger game, uh, Battle Your Brains Out. It's for Batman Forever. I never had this game, but I remember having other Tiger-type games of a side-scrolling game here. So good old Batman Forever. So what would you think about the conclusion of Robin 23? Yeah, if they need to change his name from Shotgun Smith to, like, Automatic Rifle Smith, because that is not a shotgun he has. It's <laughs> No, it not like, at all. like something Rambo walks into a, a, a Southeast Asian village with. But um, it's pretty good, except I can see... I thought the artwork was really good, but you can see where this new character, Charax, uh, whatever his name is, is it's it's very <laughs> one-dimensional. You can see why it's not going to work for, like, long-term. It's just a monster. That's all it is, you know? Like, we already have yeah. Man-Bat. Man-Bat's actually got a lot of uh, psychological issues if he, you know, takes the serum and whatnot. So it's kind of cool, and it, it's, it's a cool horror story. And the ending, I remember the ending when I read it as a kid, although I wasn't that young when this came out, so I was probably... 20, 21, which now seems like a kid to me. But um, I remember <laughs> feeling it, just feeling like this was a, a really different tone for a Robin issue. Like it was just like, like, I don't even know how to describe it, but just just like really more very horror, like goopy, kind of like gross, kind of like oh man, he's in this cocoon hanging from a a thing. It just it 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 wasn't in a bad way. It was just a very different tone. Like we'd seen Robin in traps before. We've we've seen Robin left. Um, oh no, you know, will he survive? He's in a truck that's being you know buried in concrete, you know, and all these things. But this was just like to an all new goopy kind of level. But I did want to mention before. Before we move on to issue 24, luckily now with where we are in in time, we have sales figures for these books. So do you want to take a guess what where Robin came in on the sales chart for now? Here's where it's a little tricky, though. This was at this time, Marvel was using a different distributor than DC. This chart does not include Marvel books. It only includes... DC, Image, Dark Horse, Wizard, Maxim, Tops, Crusades, Acclaim. So where do you think this issue kind of fell? Hmm. I would want to go, oh, he's in the top 10. I'll, I'll, I'll play it cool, and I'll say top 30. We are at 25. Like This issue came in 25th. Oh, okay. Um, so uh, let me see here. Oh, I'm in the wrong month here. Hold on a second. And oddly enough... The next issue that we'll talk about, issue uh, 24, also came in 25th for that month. Asriel, <laughs> sorry, Ryan, came in 26th. So it's like, hey, we beat Asriel <laughs> by one. Just to give you a little kind of funny memory lane here, this is for the month of November 1995, because remember the cover date is usually like two months ahead. The number one issue, Spawn number 39 number two issue spawn number 38 batman <laughs> came in number three with issue 526 
X Files from Topps Comic came in number four, which is amazing. Topps Comic. <laughs> Superman number 108 came in fifth. Action Comics 717 6. Superman the Man of Steel 52. Adventures of Superman 531 were seven and eight. The Superman titles were always like clumped together. Number nine, I don't know this book. Wet Works. Are you familiar with that from Image? No. Um, and then uh, rounding off the top 10, Green Lantern, Silver Surfer from DC Comics came in 10th. There's a whole bunch in the top 25 of uh, Star Wars books that were published by Dark Horse, which is um, kind of interesting to think of that with the Marvel now and everything. But it's kind of funny. Pretty soon the uh, publishing and distributing companies merge. So they'll have like combined sales charts for, for Marvel and DC. But it's kind of funny to see where Robin was pulling its weight. I mean, 25 is pretty respectable, you know. Yeah. Especially when you look at what was going on with so many of these, um, uh, what you call it, uh, independent books out there. Yeah. Right. And I was just looking up uh, what works here, just uh, some images. I do not recognize these at all. What works is an American comic book series created by artist Willichek Portaco, if I'm saying that right. Oh, Wallace Portaccio. Well, yeah, yeah. Portaccio, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was working with, uh, he was one of the image guys with um, Jim Lee, but I never really read that stuff. The only image book I got was uh, The Max and uh, Spawn. That was it. 24 here has a cover date of January 1996, so uh, we're now into a, a new year here. Again, another another Micro Ringo cover here, which is uh, really pretty cool, and it's indicative of a lot of the Underworld comics. I was kind of scrolling through uh, some of the other ones where you was a two-part story and usually all the books, where now the main villain is on the front part of it here, and it was... Ironically, like you said, it was a villain that everybody knew, but it was a D or a Z lister villain that was given a little bit a new life here. But you know, you couldn't have taken a. I wouldn't have been able to know that this was Killer Moth early on. But I dig the cover. Um, I like Robin's expression on his face, and like you said, the Robin logo is distressed from or displaced from. Uh, where it normally is with the underworld being the top part of the book, and it's off to the side, but it looks like it's still part of the carnage that Charix and Robin are in. I love the greens and browns and reds on the uh, front cover here. That's just got a really nice look to it. What do you think of the cover here for 24? Yeah, I'm a little underwhelmed, uh, or maybe just whelmed. Um, it's not bad. There's, I don't have complaints. And the color scheme is really cool with the greens and the browns, but it's just it's it's kind of forgettable. It's not one of the mm-hmm. classic Robin covers for me. If I wanted a poster in my room, this would not be a poster <laughs> right. material. You know, it's it's a little too much of the the moth, which looks a lot different on the cover than inside. Mm-hmm. Um, which I guess you know, there's probably going to be a lot of inconsistencies with the new creature thing yeah i mean even this new killer moth charex is kind of um it's not iconic it's kind of forgettable too you're like oh yeah i didn't you know in a in a year from now be like yeah didn't they do something with that what was that again oh yeah that's it like it doesn't just you know something burned in your brain forever like the the s on superman's chest or something you know so <laughs> right right so not bad but not the grace i've seen a lot better this issue i think as far as you and i discussing at these first six pages 
go rather pretty quickly. It's basically Robin in the killer moth cocoon or Charix's cocoon fighting for breath and to struggle out. Not really sure how he's going to get out of a situation that he's in. Alfred ends up radioing Robin. So they're trying to figure out like, where's Batman? Is he going to be able to get on the way? Can he hold out for a while? And this is where Alfred is starting to tell Robin who and what Charix is. This is Shotgun Smith now going through the forest after having seen probably Robin get taken away or probably assumed like, hey, Robin was here one minute, now he's not. So they're hunting down the creature and uh, Robin trying to free himself. And we get the first appearance, and I just had his name of Lockup from the Underworld event of not really knowing who Lockup was. And his name is Lyle Bolton. And uh, he's somebody that's in the Underworld series that... He's Lockup, from the animated series, yeah. Yeah. says, Lockup escaped and has captured a minor street criminal, Alvin Draper, actually Tim Drake's other undercover identity, when Nightwing found out his hideout. So that'd be kind of cool to see where this also takes place as well. So it looks like there's a little bit of uh, other parts of uh, a Lockup in here. Like I said, he was in the you know animated series as well. Yeah, he... Real quick, um, this is a really quick read for a couple of reasons. Number one, there's at least five or six pages that are just foreshadowing for Mm -hmm. future issues. The 25 and 26 with uh, Carl with the guns at school and then a future lockup story. And lockup, yeah, he originally was a character from the animated series that they brought into the comics. This is his first appearance in the comics, mm-hmm. but it's just a minor cameo. He then later is, he starts running like a, a secret prison for villains, which is kind of what Damien is doing in Teen, Teen Titans right now, right. if you've been reading that, which I've actually kind of enjoyed that. And then he becomes a big part of some of the major tie-in stories. I think the uh, Cataclysm where there's the earthquake and stuff because yeah. Batman just can't handle everything. So Batman kind of tolerates his prison but because it's better than having all these villains out on the street, but it's not ideal. So, yeah. And then the other thing that makes this really quick is if you notice, the panels are really large. Yeah. Um, there's some splash pages, and I think that is a, again, trying to be like the image comics where, you know, the art was definitely the main... Up front. Exactly. Main feature. There were lots of big splash panels. There were lots of two-page panels. And so I think this is just kind of a sign of the times of the book, which makes it go really fast. But I do love uh, the Peter Parker moment, like you said earlier in in the other issue rob where you love those peter parker moments where robin's hanging there he's going all trying to run through everything going on in his mind you know what's gone on with killer moth what is this monster going to do with me and then and then he says and i have algebra homework like i love <laughs> that little little bit yeah. but i have to say this all the stuff going on in this issue the killer moth story batman Underworld Unleashed, foreshadowing for the Guns at School story, foreshadowing, or as we say in New York at Vito's Pizza, foreshadowing for um, (laughs) the lockup story, tying it all in, putting in Shotgun Smith, putting in Batman. Chuck Dixon does it really well. There's a lot of great fluidity throughout the story. It does not feel... You know, chunky and chopped up, and is this is this a is this part of the story, or is this panel a ad for the next issue? You know, like right. it, it it flows very well. So good job on the fluidity, Mr. <laughs> Chuck Dixon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, 
you basically just encapsulized the whole entire issue. At one point, he is if it had not been for lockup, he probably would have died here because he was seconds away from getting killed by Charix. Uh, lockup comes in, shoots him with the web, and then Robin blacks out again, only to wake up with Batman here pulling him out and barely got away by the skin of his teeth. So like you said, this moves really quick and the panel layout, I think lends to that. The, I think Batman looks, uh, looks really good here. Tim Drake looks great too. There's yeah. a lot of scenes with him fighting his cape flowing. I mean, the artwork's great. The, the moth, there's a lot of detail on him. Like, you know, um, these guys who are the uh, low priestly and, and walk, they, uh, they spent some time on this here. You know, it's, it wasn't a rushed job. Uh, no, and and so it looks great. I forgot about lockup. So as I'm I'm watching or watching hello as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, oh please don't please don't let this just be Batman comes in and saves the day. You know, I want to see Robin right. get himself out of this. I want to see and and as I'm reading it, I'm getting the feeling, oh this is just going to be Batman comes and saves Robin. And then for the whole lockup thing to happen, I was kind of like. Oh, this was a turn. This was this was different. Who is this guy? What is this guy? Now, mm-hmm. I had the luxury of reading it in 2019, where I jumped right on Wikipedia and all these <laughs> DC wikis and all that stuff, and read all about it. You know, reading this book back in the 90s, it would have been cool to be like, wait, who was that guy? What's going to go on? And you have faith that Chuck Dixon will will pay it off somehow. You know? Yeah, and that's one of those things too that we always that I've always admired about the Robin book that. We're not having to rely on Batman still to save the day in Robin's own very book. But I think it lends itself this way that Batman was just getting off his case from his own underworld moment that Batman ends up. Batman would have arrived too late. If it had not been for lockup, he would have found a second unfortunate dead Robin here. So I think it, it plays better that it's lockup, that it leaves us wondering who it is. And then, uh, like you said, if to. Hey, tune in, viewers. Next week on Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake, or maybe not back then. This is where we get a little bit of foreshadowing that Carl might be packing a little bit of heat here. And uh, I thought this was, when I was first reading this way back when, thought, you know, he wants to have a private moment conversation with Tim. I thought, okay, here's where the swirly comes in. Here's where Tim's going to get beat up and shoved in his locker. And it's for Carl to go, hey, you know, you need to kind of pick your side. And, you know, there's a lot of gangs and things going on. You want to try and protect your girl. And, hey, this this seems solely, totally weird and bizarre. My dad gave this to me and said, every boy should have one. And Carl's holding up a gun. And I love that the inner monologue from Tim saying, making other people ask questions. I wasn't listening before, but I'm listening now as Carl's holding the gun in his hand uh, to be continued. So, like you said, this issue went went very quickly, but it wasn't a, a quick one of like, man, they really phoned this in. There was a, The artwork is just really, is done very well. I wish there was a better villain in this where you would have wanted to come back to this issue over and over again and go, oh, man, that was such a, a great fight with the Riddler or the KG. Like, the KG Beast would have worked very well in this type of story if it wasn't an Underworld Unleashed where Tim was strapped to a bomb or something like that or a, an anarchy story would have been really cool. But I think Dixon does a really good job of still telling the uh, Tim Drake story while still leaning into the main event story. I think if this would have been the Batman book, he probably had to play 
a little bit heavier hand into what Underworld is doing. But it's nice that, like we said earlier, you could read 23, 24, 25, 26, etc., and still keep the main thread. And then you can kind of forget the villain in this, but the other surrounding parts of the story, I think, is what it really saves this book, is the other the other world Tim Drake events that are going on. Uh, what are your uh, final thoughts for uh, 24 and this 23 as a whole and anything else for Underworld? All right, so I forgot to mention on uh, issue 23 on page 17, the top panel, another great 90s moment. Robin comes in and says to Alfred, I got your beeper message, Alfred. What's up? <laughs> so, <laughs> Kids, if you're from a later decade and have no idea what a beeper is, ask your grandparents because we all had them back in the 90s. Yeah. The bat signal is not a beeper. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Doesn't get dated at all. Um, so, yeah, once again, this was a cool Underworld tie-in. I, for the life of me, I don't remember at all what went on in Batman during these Underworld issues. I guess from what I read there, he gets offered to bring Jason Todd back. But yeah. what, what other villains... And I do remember, and it was on there, that the Riddler turned down his offer, so the Riddler stayed the same. But other than that, I don't really remember. So I'm, I, I may have to pull some of those out one of these days and revisit the Underworld Unleashed series. But, you know, it, it's... It's a little forgettable. I hate to say that, but it's a little yeah. forgettable. Like, you know, if we if we were like, you know, sitting in a bar, drinking a beer, talking about our favorite, you know, issues of Robin and our favorite Tim Drake moments, I don't think the Underworld Unleashed tie-in and the, the Charax transformation of Killer Moth would come up. But yet, if we were talking about our, you know, least favorite moments and the, the things we hated the most and what we didn't like, I don't think this would come up either. It would just be kind of like, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. What what happened in that again? You know, so when you look at the whole run of the series and you look how long it went, you know, you're going to get issues like that. You're going to get story arcs like that. It's it's what it it is what it is. But I got to say, rereading them this morning, it was enjoyable. I I liked it. I had fun with it. So I mean, and that's that's all you can really ask for for a comic. Hey, did you enjoy reading it? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Enough said. You know. So oh yeah, um, that that's kind of my my take on the whole thing. Okay, a couple quick little things for Azrael 10. Again, I'm not going to go through discussing it. I just wanted to point some things out here. Uh, I had the chance to meet Barry Kitston back in uh, 2018. I got him to sign a bunch of books, and this was one of them. I just loved this cover uh, with Azbats in the background and uh, Tim Drake, Robin, Batman, and Lady Shiva on the front cover. This is one of those things that sometimes Terrence and Ryan and I talk about that some books get put in a event just for the sake of being put into an event like, hey, here's the event book. Uh, you need to buy it. This really does not have anything to do with the underworld uh, event that is going on. It is basically just a fight club and somebody else masquerading as Azrael at the time, as Azbats, while the real Azrael Jean-Paul Valley is trying to find his way and find out who he is and the kind of hero he is eventually going to be. So the thing that made me really buy this was the Azbats costume, you know, way back when, and, you know, finding out that this is a, this guy is masquerading as Azrael. And, uh, that, that is just the, the biggest, uh, 
plot point of this story that this is actually going to uh, wind up in another Batman Azrael fight, and this is going to lead to Azrael fully coming back to Gotham City and helping uh, protect uh, Gotham. So with it having the banner on the top of it, it's not really... There's no villain that's getting special powers. It's a guy in Azbat's costume that's going through a cage fight. So that'll be something to go through listening to Ryan's Azrael podcast to see where this all stems from. So getting it to... I just threw it in here because Tim does appear in four of the main Bat titles, being Batman dealing with Mr. Freeze, the Detective Comics dealing with that, which I'm going to talk about in just just a second, and then in his own book. So Tim got a little bit of mileage, and Tim actually plays a big part, at least in the story, of fighting uh, this other guy in the Azbats costume. So really quick, let's just go over to the two detective issues real quick, and I'll give just some quick thoughts here on those two issues. I think one of the bigger takeaways from this, again, with Chuck Dixon writing a lot of these books in Detective and Batman and Catwoman and Green Arrow and Birds of Prey, that he's putting a lot of different characters and a lot of different plot points and stories that not only cross over from book to book, but just inside the issues themselves. A Devlin, if you remember when Bruce had finally come back after nightfall through Troika and his neighbor Devlin was shooting golf balls across a uh, Wayne Manor. Bruce is now golfing with that individual. And uh, that is a, there's a funny little sequence in here, which I think is pretty cool. And the appearance of Lady Spellbinder, but I think the other reason why I decided to put this in the put the synopsis in here as well is because Tim Drake actually plays a bigger role in the final battle with Lady Spellbinder towards the very end. It, it's actually from the technology that Oracle helps Bruce use with the exoskeleton suit. The Bruce is wearing the goggles, and Tim is the one that is kind of sort of the puppet master here, guiding Bruce through this almost virtual reality that he has to maneuver through that Bruce can't really see what he's doing because he would be directly affected by that in front of Lady Spellbinder. But Tim being in the Batcave, looking through the goggles that Bruce is, but wearing the exoskeleton suit that Bruce is and kind of controlling Batman almost in a video game style, I thought was a really clever way to defeat the villain here. So those were just a couple quick things I wanted to point out from the two issues that had Tim, that Tim was a big plot point story for Chuck Dixon and Denny O'Neill in both stories. Now, again, the Azrael story to have the underworld banner across the top of it, I think, was just to tie it in for the sake of tying it in. But it was a cool Tim Drake moment, and it was a way to usher in Azrael officially to the Bat family, and that'll play out, you know, as it will through that series. But that Dixon was also got a chance to write another underworld story where Tim Drake was the main feature. So I just wanted to bring up those couple little things that involved Tim Drake in, you know, two other books that was under the bigger umbrella. And Tim even has an appearance in the Batman title as well. So four titles with Tim Drake during an event where Tim was the primary focus was actually pretty cool. So let's get back to the end of this episode. 
what we have coming up on the podcast next is a Robin Green Arrow. Call it crossover. Uh, Robin appears in Green Arrow 105 and then 25 and 26. So we will get to see what ends up uh, happening to Carl. And we've kind of already played that a little bit. So that'll be your homework assignment for the uh, next are, are you trying to tell us that Oliver Queen is going to be in the, the issues of Robin? No, I'm not. Oliver Queen is nowhere. It's somebody else. <laughs> what? I thought he was the arrow. <laughs> That's what the WB told me. <laughs> so, yeah, this is a, a different green arrow. And uh, I had forgotten that, you know, this. it's also written by Chuck Dixon as well. So um, I remember really liking the green arrow comics back then. And at the time, I think I knew who Oliver Queen was, but that... That wasn't who Green Arrow was when I was reading uh, Green Arrow. So that'll be fun to revisit the the Green Arrow title and then to see Green Arrow uh, wind up in the Robin title as well. We need – it's Connor Hawk, right? That's Connor it. Hawk, Because yep. I always get confused because Connor Kent is Superboy. And then I was like, Connor – you know, but uh, top ten baby names from, you know, <laughs> 1995 <laughs> Connor. But, right. Um, tell me he wouldn't fit in well, excellent right now with Wonder Comics and uh, what's going oh on gosh. in Young Justice. You know, yeah. yeah. I, w- yeah. I would love for him to uh, wind up in Young Justice. That would – that make my day to have Connor Hawk there. And that, I thought that was a really good pairing of having – Another trinity, if you will, of having Connor Hawk, Wally West, and Tim Drake be right there. I always wanted to throw in Kyle Rayner into the mix, too, but Tim Drake really didn't cross over much with uh, Kyle Rayner. But uh, Connor Hawk Yeah, Kyle did. always seemed like a little bit older. Like older, were, yeah. It would be weird for them. Like Nightwing and Tim can hang out because they're basically brothers. It's okay to hang out with your brother if he's six years older than you or hang out with your little brother. If, but if it's just another guy, like six It'd years. It'd be like a like, freshman and a senior. Yeah, out. it's yeah. kind of weird for like a 14-year-old to be hanging out with a 21-year-old. If they're <laughs> right. not like somehow related somehow. Cousins is okay, but just, you know, <laughs> we, we both like to wear tights and beat up people. Yeah, you know, uh, maybe maybe not. Maybe, maybe not, not, yeah. I'll, I'll, see at the, I'll see at the DC family reunion. <laughs> exactly, Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think that's where we're going to end this episode, folks. Uh, we've got some cool things coming up here. Terrence, if people want to shoot you a message uh, out there on the interwebs, uh, where can they do so at? No, oh, I don't even know. I don't even use Twitter anymore. <laughs> so contact well, Rob, and then he'll forward the message to me. Yeah. I don't think anybody sent me a message since I've started doing this podcast. So <laughs> I don't think we're. I think we're okay on on that stuff. But uh, send yeah. me the message. Walk, pass me the note in class and say, "Hey, can you can you hand this oh, to Terrence?" Oh, you know what you school? could do. You could you could uh, send me a message to my beeper. Um, it's it's <laughs> Rob's got my beep. So so message Rob and he'll forward you my beeper number. Yeah, there you go. We'll, I'll, I'll I'll find a payphone and use my calling card. And if I'll it's call, real yeah. real important, what three numbers are you supposed to put in the beeper? Yeah, was it nine one one? Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> so on that nineties nostalgia, on the behalf of Terrence, this is Rob. You've been listening to the Batman Universe, and more importantly, you've been listening to Robin. Everyone loves a Drake. We'll see you guys on the next episode. Take care. Thanks for listening to Robin. Everyone loves the Drake podcast. This has been brought to you by the Batman Universe.net. 
Tim Drake, Robin, and all Batman-related characters are under copyright of DC Comics. This podcast is solely for entertainment purposes, so no infringement is intended by this show. This show is not a good revenue stream. Actually, there's not a stream at all. All music and sound clips are under copyright by their respected copyright holders. So there should be no need to send the Penguins lawyers after us for ill-gotten gains because there are none. You can get a hold of the show a few different ways. We are on Twitter at ELTD Podcast. You can also email in at Robin ELTD Podcast at Yahoo.com. Our Facebook page can be found at www.facebook.com slash everyone loves the Drake. And as always, you can message directly over at the BatmanUniverse.net. So email, tweet, or message us. We'd love to hear from you. And we'll read your comments or responses on the show. The show you're listening to can be found a few different ways through iTunes and Windows Media also over at our host tbu leave us a review on itunes if you listen there it'll help spread the word of the show make sure you head over to the batmanuniverse.net your home for all things batman and robin thanks for listening to the show and hearing why everyone loves the drake we'll see you in a few weeks take care